And I'm sure as you can probably imagine, that relationship quickly hit like a hill and it was just like a straight plummet down. That friendship relationship was over. And he goes, well, thanks for the car that you're going to keep making payments on. It's under your name. I'm not paying for it. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Dennis and Katie O'Brien. Dennis and Katie, are you ready to rock? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. You have a bit of a heroic story here. Dennis and Katie decided to create Chain of Wealth after a tough conversation about Katie's debt. She had over $200,000 of debt that included a student loan, mortgage, car loan, and negative equity. And let me tell you, you're not alone or you weren't alone. As I can see, a lot of debt going on in America. After hunkering down and reprioritizing what is important in life, they have managed to pay off all their debt in less than two years, all while getting married and paying for their wedding in cash. Yay, Katie and Dennis. Take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Yes. Thank you so much for having us. Well, like you said, we just got married about a month and a half ago. Yep. We got married in South Africa because that is where Dennis's family is. And it is a beautiful location. Yeah. Wedding went off without a hitch. Absolutely beautiful. I kept expecting something to go wrong, but went off perfectly. We were very, very blessed. The weather was perfect. We saw some really cool animals and yeah, went off really well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. Mom, I promise I'm going to get married when I grow up. <laughs> yes. Don't exactly. rush, don't rush. She's going she's gonna to go, hey, I heard that. My number one listener. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, take a moment and tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, so we're going to highlight one of Katie's debts that she paid off. But to give you an idea as to where it all started, so Katie moved into my apartment up to DC. We originally had met in Tampa. We'd been dating backwards and forwards. And after I had to move for work, we kind of agreed that she would come and join me. And at the time, she so she's an elementary school teacher by trade. And she quit her job, obviously coming up, and she didn't want to take her job. Because she was worried, you know, what if this doesn't work out? I need a backup plan. If I need to jump ship, I need to get up there quickly. And I don't. I mean, look at this guy. I know, right? (laughs) Super sketchy. (laughs) So she didn't take up a job initially when she moved up. And, you know, like she owned a home at the time, but she moved into DC without any income. And things were great for a couple months. And all of a sudden, you know, the bills started coming in. And Katie was always scared to check the mail or or not scared. She had anxiety over checking the mail and she never used to like it when I used to say, well, let's go check the mail. We're downstairs. We're right here. Let's go grab it. And one day, like after this like tension and like, no, 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 we don't need to check the mail. I said to her, what are you worried about? It's just the mail. Yes. And that's when it all started. 
So I didn't want to check the mail because I knew what laid waiting for me in the mailbox. And it was like a stack of bills like this. And I was right. And after a long night, we totaled everything up and it came to a staggering $200,000 worth of debt. And I thought I was going to be sick. I had no job. I didn't know what to do. It was pure panic. So a lot, like you said in the intro, it was student loan, a mortgage, and then a car loan and negative equity. I'm going to focus only on the negative equity part because it is the most regretful one that I have. Yeah. Because you have to go to school, so you take out a loan. You buy a home, you take out a mortgage. Those are all understandable things. The negative equity, on the other hand, is like such a moment in my life where now I just look back and I think like, what in the world was I thinking? So it was back in March 2015, 2014, somewhere around there. I was dating this boy and he was really convincing. He needed a new car for some reason or another and he had bad credit. And he convinced me after many conversations that if I were to co-sign a loan for him, that that would lower his interest rate. And then he, we would be able to save money to do all kinds of other things with the money. So at the time I'm driving a 2002 Toyota Corolla with a dent in the side. Okay. The check engine light is on the, you know, to every time I went to get gas, I would have to pop open the hood, check the oil. I always had an extra thing of oil in the back of my car just in case I had to pour more in. I am not like a car person and had never had a car payment before this. So finally I go and I, I go to the car dealership. He picks out this car and he tells me that he has all this negative equity. And at the time, I can use my context clues. I know negative equity is not great, <laughs> but I wasn't super sure what negative equity even was at this point. And I am like 25, 26. You know, I've got my own apartment. I've graduated from college. I have a job. Like, I know everything. So I, I do the terrible thing. I don't even tell my mom that I'm doing it until after it's done. So I co-signed for this car. And it was not even like a really nice car. It was, well, it was a nice car, but it was like a Hyundai. It wasn't like a Mercedes or BMW or anything high end like that. So that was March. And I'm sure as you can probably imagine, that relationship quickly hit like a hill and it was just like a straight plummet down. And that friendship relationship was over. And he goes, well thanks for the car that you're going to keep making payments on. It's under your name. I'm not paying for it. And I thought, what? Can you even do that? Yes, yeah. exactly. Turns out you can. <laughs> so after more than one night of tears and, you know, my mom trying to help me, my brother trying to help me, the only way, well, first, let me, let me back up a little bit. When I co-signed, he said, this will be no problem to you. I promise I will make every single payment. And then we are no longer friends. And now my credit is attached to this. So 
the first month, he made the payment. The second month, he didn't make the payment. And I called every single day. He never made the payment. So I didn't know what else to do along with, you know, some other stuff that was going on. I went to a lawyer and I said, I don't know what to do. I either need him to take this car and pay for it, or I need him to give it back to me so I can deal with this. So I'm sure you can imagine like the slug he was. I came home one night. I was living with my mom at the time. I came home one night and in front of her house, there's the car. And he said, it's yours. Go ahead and take it. No problem. You know, basically saying, thank you for paying all of my negative equity off on it. And we're talking not a little bit of negative equity, $20,000 worth. And like Dan said, I was a teacher. $20,000 is a lot of money for me. And so now I'm panicked because I don't really know what to do. And I, I start the process of trying to get his name off the title. Naturally, he's super hard to work with. He won't even do that. And I don't know what possessed me, but we went to a car dealership, my mother and I, one, one day, because she told me that if I make all the payments on this car and in three years, the car's almost paid off he can still come in the middle of the night and take the car away from me. Yep. And that was really now that I have the car back and I can make the payments and my credit's not going to be affected. That was my next big fear that he was going to take the car in the middle of the night. So I went to a car dealership in Tampa where I was living at the time and went in and told the guy what had happened. Nothing makes you feel more like a bozo than a situation like this. And I remember they, I was, I thought I was going to be able to go in, pick out a cheaper car, get his name off of it and bing, bang, boom, like we're done and life can move on. I was wrong. Just like how your head is shaking. I was wrong. So then we're looking at all these like 50 and $60,000 cars. I had never had a car payment. My car was at this time like 12, 13 years old. So I was just like, we have to have something cheaper. I can't afford this. And the guy told me, he said, we can't do anything cheaper because you have so much negative equity. You need a a loan that will be able to cover the cost of the car. Just to add to that. So the dealerships are allowed to do that. And the reason they won't give her a loan was because she had no collateral. So it was high risk for them to give her a cheaper car and say, well, we're just giving you $20,000 and hoping that you pay it back. So they say, well, if it's not a problem, we'll just sell you a more expensive asset so that that way, if you default, we have more to claim. So from the car dealership, I totally get it. And I understand why they did it, but it's a tough position to be in. Right? So I was talking to the salesman. I didn't even go and look at cars. I know when a lot of people go and buy a car, they walk the lot and they test drive and they do this and that and everything. I did not do that. There's a car sitting right on the showroom floor since I had to get a super expensive car. There's no point in looking at the cheaper cars that I can't get. (laughs) So I bought this blue Honda cross store right off the showroom floor with like 35 miles on it. 
and I hated it. Mm. I didn't even sit in it before I bought it. I just like signed the paperwork. And I remember sitting in the dealership with my mom and it was like a beautiful Saturday. It was by this time, like late September when all this had kind of come to surface and I had moved out and all the car stuff had been, you know, thrown at me. And I just cried and I said, mom, I'm a teacher and I have a $663 a month car payment, not including insurance or anything else a month for seven years. What am I going to do? And like tears streaming down my face and I don't like to cry in public and there are people all over the place. And she was like, it's okay. You will figure this out. And I didn't realize how bad it was. I knew it, I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't realize just how bad it was until we went into the financing office because those guys are like sharks, right? That guy felt bad for me. Like genuinely. <laughs> when the sharks me. aren't going to eat you, you know. <laughs> yeah. We were in there probably for like three hours because he was you know, handing me tissues. I think this guy was like half crazy anyway, because in between phone calls of calling different banks to try to get my interest lower, he was telling me and my mom like these crazy stories of him, like dressed up as a pirate on a boat or something. I'm pretty sure he was crazy to begin with, but he was calling different banks and different loan dealerships to help me get a lower rate on my car. And let me ask you a question just so I understand. The process at the car dealer, by going through that process, you were able to get his name off of the documents and get something back for what, you know, what you had, what he had put in or what, you know, what you had in that car. But the only way you could do it was actually to take on more obligation, like an additional yeah. <laughs> loss. It was basically... Okay, that's cool. Yeah, you can take his name off the loan, but we're going to give you all the debt to go with it. Yeah. So they basically pay away out of that car. So right. <laughs> so then we're signing the paperwork and the car is mine. And believe it or not, it was such a rough situation going through all of it. I just decided, you know what, I will figure out the negative equity in the car. And I just had assumed. I was going to be driving this car until the day I died because it was so expensive. I definitely did not ever envision my first car purchasing experience like this. And now I also have the car that I was driving at home, which was like 12, 13 years old, that I'm trying to sell because I definitely can't afford car insurance on two cars and car maintenance on two cars. And so... That was the story of how I got the car. And granted, it was a beautiful car for $30,000. So. Yeah, yeah. It was a very nice car for $30,000. Not so great of a car for $50,000. And I remember going into work. You know, I worked at a small school. And everybody, you know, knew each other really well. And all the other teachers came running up to me like, oh, wow, look at your new car. It's got leather seats and all these cameras. And, 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 and <laughs> yeah. And I had one girlfriend who was a little bit more financially savvy than the rest. And she went, 
what is your payment like on this? <laughs> and how long? And I told her the truth, $663 a month. And then she goes, for how long? And I was so ashamed. I lied. I lied and told her that it was only a five-year loan instead of a seven-year loan, which a five-year loan on a car is still a really long time. Sure, sure. So I'm driving around telling people there's a lie about my new car, which also baffled me that so many people ask such personal questions about a car purchase. So then flash forward like a year and a half after I have accidentally hit a pole with this new car, I move it up to Virginia to live with Dennis. And that's when the bills start coming in. And, and you, you brought along a little baggage. Only, only a little bit. <laughs> All right. So let's, for the audience, let, let's now take it to kind of present day or to that point where you guys, you know, face the, the mail in the mailbox and face the music and help us just to understand how you face that and how you resolve that. And then next, I'm going to ask you what you learned from the whole experience. Right. So the way we face that is I'm a spreadsheet junkie and I live in Excel. And so the first thing I did was like whip open the computer, entering in all the debts. I'm actually a chartered accountant or a CPA by trade. So <laughs> I know it. <laughs> you know how it goes. I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So I calculate everything and, you know, I, I basically say to Katie, you know, you have $200,000 worth of debt. And, you know, at this point it's tears and you can just see that emotion and that drain. And, you know, Kate likes to say that she fell into that much debt and it is that easy, you know, because every time you need to buy something, it's, Oh, just sign here and don't read the paperwork. And, you know, everyone's in debt. Everyone, this is the way you're meant to do it. So, you know, Kate was sort of like, what am I going to do? I'm trapped. There's, there's no way out of this. And there literally was no light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so what we did is we, we took that Excel spreadsheet and we devised an action plan. She was very lucky in that the home that she had bought 15 months before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like she, she had bought her house for a hundred thousand and luckily that house had appreciated in value to about 120. So she was able to sell that for quite a bit of a, a profit and take a lot of that money and put it towards her, her car. But essentially after that, it was still a massive amount of debt to pay off. So we devised an action plan for the rest. And I said to Kate, you know, like I'm in a position where I can afford rent. I can afford food. I can cover basic living expenses. And I said, so you have one job, pay off your debts and I will not marry you or our relationship will not proceed until you have gotten it under control. Dump that baggage on the bed right here. <laughs> All of it. Yeah. So I'm going to take you back a little bit. So that is basically everything that happened. So I did sell my house in Florida, which was really upsetting for me because I had worked really hard to buy it. I bought it by myself. I worked two jobs, sometimes two and a half to be able to buy the house and pay for this massive car payment. And so I go down to Florida. I sell the house basically again with tears in my eyes. And I come home with the, I want to say like a $19,000 check from yeah. the house that I cleared. 
And I was so stressed out that if I don't make at least $18,000 off of this house, I'm not going to be able to get rid of the car because the car at this point was worth like $20,000 and I still owed like 38. So I tried to privately sell the car like on Craigslist and through all those different websites and everything. No luck. No matter how great the pictures were, no matter how many different places I put the car up for sale, nothing. So one day, I want to say like right before Thanksgiving, 2017, I got fed up. The car was going to be gone by Christmas. And I took it to a random dealership that I found somewhere in Maryland. I don't even know where I was. And I took it in after I got the dent on the side of the car fixed. That was like $1,000. But I took it in and they ran the inspection and they said that that's great. We will buy it for whatever amount I needed them to buy it for. I don't remember the amount. Do you? I think it was 18 or 19,000. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, it was the right amount that I needed. Mm. So they said literally was, by the skin of her teeth. Literally. <laughs> and so then it was of course a Sunday. So he goes, bring it back on tomorrow we'll buy the car and the whole process will be done and you can, you know, get sell it to us tomorrow. And you can sleep. Great. Yeah, that's great. I'm so excited. That night, I was a wreck. I was so nervous. And, you know, every what if and worst case scenario came into my mind and I just, I was a wreck. So that morning, I drove, I woke up at the crack of dawn, drove to Maryland terrified that I was going to, of course, get into a car accident on my way to <laughs> the dealership, but not enough to like total the car. I was convinced it would just be like a, a good dent. So I get to the car dealership and the inspection goes through and they say, yes, we remember, we agree. This is it. And I told the guy, I will never forget this. It was cold in Virginia or Maryland or whatever state we were in at the time. And I go, well, before, before you can have it, I have negative equity on the car. Can I wire you some money? And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure. That's no problem. It's fine. He goes, um, how much do you have to wire over? And I said, $18,000. All of it. <laughs> the guy's <laughs> face was just like, like complete shell shock. Like, what do you mean? You $18,000 on the car. We're buying it for that much. Like, <laughs> How does that happen? So I walk like three or four blocks up to Bank of America to get this cashier's check or something to give to the dealership. And I will never forget, I am taking out a check for $18,000. And the girl goes, we're going to need to charge you $10. For convenience fee. <laughs> I don't know what happened to me. I kind of like lost that. I was like, there's no way I cannot pay the $10 right now. I cannot pay. I am trying to get rid of my car. Please. Can I talk to a manager? And I waited like 20 minutes for this manager to finally finish his cup of coffee to come over to talk to me. And I told him the situation and he said, it's fine. Just take it. It's not a problem. So then I go back to the dealership, still kind of not really believing what is going on. And I give the guy the $18,000 check and he gave me the license plate. And he was like, okay, 
we're good. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. And I was just kind of like, that, that is it? Like Anticlimactic. Heartache and stress and tears and everything like that. It, it was just Boop. done. Yep. And so then I obviously don't have a car to go home. So I walked like 45 <laughs> minutes to find a Metro because I'm like, I'm so still worked up that I naturally he needed that walk. walk. Yeah. I got lost <laughs> finding the Metro and it was, I want to say like 45 minutes on the Metro that I was just like, the car is gone. So, and, so let's yeah. try, let's try to bring this together. I, I, I kind of want to, I want to get maybe Dennis, you can wrap up a kind of, of where, how you got rid of, because the story on the car is very clear now. How did you guys get down to, to zero debt? And, sure. and then after that, let's get into what you guys learn. And I, I think for the learnings, I'd like to focus on two things. Well, the first thing is about the moment when you co-signed and to think about what for that woman or man who's out there today, who's just about to do that, you know, let's think about what you learned that they could learn by listening to this show. And then the second one is when you find yourself in debt and in trouble, maybe you guys can help us say, what did you learn about how to get out of that? Sure. So, um, once the car was done, it was just smooth sailing. No, I'm joking. Not, not at all. <laughs> there was still a ton of debt left over. I mean, effectively then, it was still like $50,000 left. It still was no, no job at the time. Yeah. So that last 50000 consisted pr predominantly of her student loan and a small medical bill. So we decided, let's smash the medical bill out first, get rid of it. And then we were left with a student loan. We could do another whole show just on the student loan. But long story short... When Kate graduated, she had about $33,000 worth of student loan debt. When she started really paying it back, she had about $45,000 of student loan debt. So that's what happens when you defer your student loan. So don't do that. But anyway, I took the remaining numbers and I calculated the payoff and I used the interest rate and I said, how much is left and how are we going to get there? So... Kate at this point was fired up about paying off debt. You know, she'd, she'd made some massive strides. She's like, we're ticking these things off. We're going. I want to keep going. Let's keep this momentum going. I want to have it all paid off by my birthday. And I was like, okay, well, let's do the math and let's see how much you have to pay. And it turns out she had to make payments averaging about $3,100 a month towards her debt to be debt-free by her birthday. And once again, we got some tears because... As a teacher, <laughs> Kate only makes about $2,200 a month. So she said, you know, I've got this $900 deficit. Like, how are we going to get there? And I said, well, there's two ways. Either we push back the date and we make payments that you can make and you'll be done five or six months after. Second option is you make more than $3,100 a month and we find a way to make up this $900 shortfall. So what Kate said is that, you know, I've set a goal. I want to have it done by my birthday. Let's make it happen. So she picked up like a million side hustles and you, you've done everything like from charging electric scooters to shipping books for an author to, you know, creating pins on Pinterest. It, literally the, the list doesn't end. She's as a teacher, she picked up a kid to tutor as well. So anywhere that she could make money, she found a way to make some money and she managed to pay off her 
student loan by her birthday. I think it was like two weeks before her birthday. So that was awesome. I have tears just listening to that. It's so <laughs> impressive, Katie. There was one other problem though. Leading up to this, Kate needed to get a job. So Kate got the job. However, the job was not metroable. So she couldn't use public transport to get there. So we need another car. (laughs) It goes to show that, you know, there's go in your, in your debt payoff journey, there will be setbacks and you just have to work with it. And that's when Katie started learning how to ride a bicycle. No, I wish, I wish uh, yeah. the, the school was just you know this too far out of out of biking range. Yeah, so we ended up buying a, a car for twelve thousand, which was much better than the fifty thousand dollar car loan she was paying off last time. We love this new um, car. It was yeah. financed over three years at a good interest rate, so we bought with love. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you know the car loan we were sort of making the minimum payment. Well, that the normal monthly payments want to be done in three years. And then we had our wedding coming up, which I obviously had proposed during this time because I could tell where her mind was at. And, you know, we were on the same page and she was going to be debt free and she was doing all the right things. So we got engaged and we then set a date for the wedding, which was in July. So Kate's wedding, sorry, Kate's birthday is in May. So it was a very small gap in terms of, you know, saving up for it. So we said that we would not go into debt for the wedding. So once again, the side hustle starts and we managed to save up enough money to pay cash for the wedding. And a lot of the gifts that we got for the wedding were cash because it was in South Africa and no one wanted to actually give us physical presents. So wedding was in July. In August, we had extra money laying around for the first time ever, basically. (laughs) So we put that all into the car and we cut a check for $8,000. And as of last month, we are now debt free. Oh, that is an amazing story. And the thing about that story is that you're not alone. Yeah. Mm -mm. There's millions of people in similar or even worse situations. And, you know, you provide real hope that you can get through that pain. So let's go now and talk about the lessons that you learn for those people that are struggling. And I'd like to go back to that moment in time where you did decide to sign that document and kind of think about what lessons, you know, for that, that person that's in that Mm -hmm. situation right now, what have you learned from going through all of that? So I remember that day that I signed very vividly and I had this gnawing feeling in my stomach, like, don't do this. This is not the right thing to be doing. But, you know, I hate to say it like a like a girl for a boy, I ignored it. And I was just like, no, it'll be fine. You know, we'll figure it out. And he's going to be true to his word. It's not going to be a problem. And I tell this to anybody because I have since then talked to a lot of girls who lots of girls seem to do this. And I was really ashamed of it before. And now I just want people to know, like, if you don't feel right about something, don't do it because at the end of the day, it is your name on that line. And whether there's an and or an or after your name and then the next person's name, it is a big deal because you might think, oh, it's just a stupid little paper. No big deal. But the creditors and the lenders do not feel the same way. And at the end of the day, it's going to be your tail working two and three jobs, crying and exhausted, having to pay that that debt off. It's not worth it no matter 
no matter who it is. And I remember after the whole thing was said and done and I had the car, my brother is a, also a CFA. And just like how I did not tell my mom, I did not mention it to my brother because I was 26 and I knew everything. And he told me, Katie, why did you do this? You know, and he told me about him and his wife who are happily married. And he said, my car is in my name and his wife's name is Jen. Jen's car is in her name. Like, yeah, we both pay for it, but they are separately in like our own names. We don't buy a car together because ultimately if somebody needs you to help them buy a car, that should be red flag number one, two, and three. You should be able to buy your own car as an adult. If you're a 16 year old kid and you need your parents to co-sign for you, that's one thing. But when you're 25, 26, 27 and older and you need somebody to co-sign for you because your credit's so bad, that's not. Got it. So then let's look at kind of the next things that you guys learn that I'd like to kind of centered on when you realize that day, you know, that all those letters had piled up, the consequences of many decisions all of a sudden turn into tears and desperation and fear and, and, you know, panic, shame, all of those things. What did you learn from this that the listeners can take away from that of how you were able to get out? First, don't co-sign for somebody you're dating ever, but also to be really aware of what you are buying and doing your research and making sure you are making the right decision because the decision you make now is going to impact you later on in your life. Yeah. Like there's such a knock on consequence and yes, it's just a piece of paper, but it's a legal document. You are going to be held accountable and understanding the terms of that document are critically, is critically important. Got it. Okay, let me, let me summarize some of my takeaways from it. I mean, obviously, the thing that's so powerful about this is the emotion, you know, about everything, about what you went through. And I've taken some notes. I'm just going to go through a few things, you know. The first is, you know, don't help others until you can help yourself. Yep. And no matter how much, you know, someone asks. In fact, I would suggest for the, for the women listening out there, when a man asks you to co-sign a loan, you say, what? you should be co-signing my loan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why are you asking me to co-sign your loan? Now, the second thing that I take away from it is the idea that you need to talk to other people. Mm -hmm. Doing things in isolation, no matter whether, you know, because of many different reasons. Uh, We don't want to, you know, look stupid. We don't, we want to show that we can do things on our own. The fact is the best professionals in the world, in the financial world, talk to other people when they're considering their investment options. So break through the taboo and talk to someone before you do something. Right. And the third thing is, which this can eliminate some of that is never invest or get involved in this way with a relationship. Mm -hmm. Now it's not, it's not always good advice. You know, there are times that things can work but it's a real hot spot. It's a real danger zone. And so if I was to give advice to the men and women out there, just avoid that. Let's say, look, I don't want to mess up this relationship with money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you just want to avoid entanglements as much as you can. And really, truthfully, 
that, that kind of goes back with helping yourself before you help others. And also, the next thing is like, who do you turn to, audience, listeners? You know, who do you turn to when you have a problem, when you have a financial problem? You should probably identify that person before you get into that trouble. Ask that question of yourself right now, today. If you were in financial trouble, who would you go to? It sounds like maybe you should have gone to your brother. As an yeah, example, no. you know, whoever that was. Designate that person before. Designate that person today. So that when that financial event comes up, it will trigger a memory like, oh, yeah, I said I would talk to somebody and I designated my brother, you know, take your tail between your legs and go and, you know, do it. And then the last thing is the idea of what I like to say is don't get attached to things, Mm -mm. you know, and you mentioned about selling the home in Florida and the attachment that you have. But, you know, I listened to somebody said something recently. He said, you know, we all have so much in common. And the person on the other side was saying, what are you talking about? We're so different. And he said, in a hundred years, we'll all be dust under the ground. I was like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> just, we're all going to be dust under the ground. So the attachments that we have to the things around us are all going to be on. So don't build up your life around these attachments. So in my example, when I moved to Thailand many years ago, because in the beginning, I mean, I didn't have money to buy a house, but even as a young person in Thailand, I just didn't feel comfortable buying a house in this country because I wasn't sure exactly what, you know, what I was going to do and all that. So I never bought a house. I rented all my life, but that also gave me the flexibility to move around and do things. And, you know, so the idea of not, building attachment. So I took a lot away from it. Is there anything you'd add to that or anything I missed? There is one thing I would add, Andrew, and I think that's one of the most, one of the reasons we actually got through this whole thing is we were deliberate. We had a plan. We, we were able to figure out where we wanted to go and we, we put our ship in a direction and we started sailing. And if it wasn't for regular check-ins, looking at our goals, trying to achieve certain things, and a lot of which we documented on our own podcast, you know, with our listeners and sort of speaking through our journey, I think if we didn't do that, we would have been quite far off where, where we are today. I'd like to add on to that too. Dennis talked about having my debt paid off by my 31st birthday, but in the math, if you're really doing the math along in your head, wouldn't have made sense because I had been paying off for quite a while and my original debt payoff goal was to have it by Christmas the year before. And I did not meet that goal. So I set a new goal. And I think it's really important because life does get a little crazy and you can get sidetracked and things happen. Don't give up on your goal. It's okay to change your goal. Push it back a little bit if that's what you need, but don't abandon ship altogether. Got it. And one last thing, you know, there are, let's just take an exact same situation of a woman out there who's gotten herself in this situation. And let's just say that, you know, one of the things that really helped you is that, you know, meeting Dennis and Dennis being understanding of your situation and being supportive in getting through that. But truthfully, there's there's plenty of women out there that either don't meet a Dennis in this case or they meet the same type of guy that 
got them in the problem in the first place. Right. So, From beforehand. So, so let's just, for just one last, last uh, message, let's think about what advice you would give for that woman out there that hasn't found her dentist. Oh, that's and, and, and the answer can't be go find your dentist because, you know, no, that's no, not going to happen. You have to put your priorities in order. And I was starting to get to the point when I didn't have dentists, but I had my house, my car payment, all those bills. I was getting sick and tired of being so broke. And, you know, go to a financial coach and ask for advice. It's always such a good idea. If you have nobody that you feel that you can go to, go to a financial advisor, somebody that in the profession that can help break things down for you because they're going to put things in order for you. And you're just going to have to make the commitment to yourself that you're going to, you know, cut back and not buy the new shoes and you're not going to get your nails done all the time. And you're going to have to work an extra job and a side hustle on top of your full-time job. And you're going to have to really dedicate paying off all that debt. And maybe you're lucky enough to be able to move in with a best friend or a mom and you can put a lot of that money towards your, towards your debt to help pay it off quicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess what I would take away from this is just that you can't do it alone. Reach out for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to sort of close that up, we often speak about the ostrich technique in terms of debt repayment. And that's that you stick your head in the ground and you pretend it's not there. Don't do that. And Don't do that. You're not conscious of what's going on around you. You're not able to set a direction and start moving. So whether you're meeting your dentist or not, you know, figure out where you're at. If you know where you're at, you're able to move forward and you're able to make things better. And it's one day at a time. And yep. You can't get any worse than where you are now. So every day forward is going to be better. Just turn around and face your demons. And it turns out they're, they're not as scary as they are once you face them. All right. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I'd have to say, just be very cognizant of what you're signing and understand the legal implications of everything you do. And just because you're young is not an excuse for not understanding what you're doing. If anything, it's the most critical time that you have to really be fully understanding of what you're doing. And do your homework. Got it. All right. And last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yeah. Our number one goal for the next 12 months, now that we're finally debt-free, is going to be to save up for a house and put down a 20% down payment in the next 12 months. Beautiful. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Dennis and Katie, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you. Today, your worst investment has now turned into a true success by sharing it with others. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yes. No matter how scary it is for you to face those demons, get it over with and face them now because it's not going to get any better. I would say that there's a lot of great resources online. And if you just search around, like Katie wrote a post about this exact experience. 
you know, talking about her negative equity, sometimes sharing it with someone else makes the load a lot easier. So, yeah. Great. Fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth, fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.